0: So before I turn things over to James and Chris, I wanted to start by setting a little bit of context for today's call. If you've joined us before, you know that on our Community Matters calls, we often tackle some serious topics, like how to improve engagement in your community, how to improve decision making, how to build stronger places. So why are we taking two months to focus on play? Is this metaphorical recess for all of you Community Matters callers? Actually, we think play is pretty serious business too. We bet that most of you on the line are looking to make some real serious improvements to your communities. We bet that you are really looking to make meaningful changes to engagement, to how government and citizens interact, to how your community makes decisions on critical topics like economy or education or development. And we think play can really help you with that. I wanted to quote from a New York Times article by Richard Saylor who is a leading behavioral economist and one of the co-authors of a book called Nudge, which I would highly recommend if you haven't read it. Here's what Richard Taylor has to say on the topic. Governments typically use two tools to encourage citizens to engage in civic behavior, like paying their taxes, driving safely, or recycling their garbage. They use exhortations and fines. These efforts are often ineffective. So it might be a good time to expand the government's repertoire to include positive reinforcement rewarding good behavior can work. As every successful parent learns, one way to encourage good behavior, like room cleaning or tooth washing, is to make it fun. Not surprisingly, the same principle applies to adults. Adults like to have fun, too. And we know this is the case in our communities as well. Research shows that social interaction increases brain activity, responsiveness, problem solving, and creativity. And all of those are things that are critical to helping our citizens and communities solve problems, work together, and build vibrant futures. So whatever issue it is that we think your community is struggling with today, we hope that Play will be able to help you. And I'm going to turn it over to James and Chris to talk to you about what they've actually found in their work and how Play can indeed help with engagement. So before I do, one last plea to everybody. Please put yourselves on mute by pressing star six. I think we're getting some background noise from someone who just this point. If we do have to meet online, I'll pause. I may interrupt James and questions because it will take us a second, and we will jump right back into the call. So with that, let me pass
1: it to James. Hi, my name is James Rojas, and I'm a city planner uh, artist. And uh, I've been using art and uh, play as a way to get people engaged in urban planning. Because I, I'm from Los Angeles, and I work a lot with immigrant, Latino immigrants, I noticed that for the past couple of years, working on these major development projects like light rail or uh, economic development, they, they wouldn't they wouldn't participate in the planning process. And so I started to investigate. Well, why? You know. So, uh, but, and then what happened? At the same time, I opened up an art gallery in downtown Los Angeles and so started working with a lot of artists and realized how artists can easily engage the public through their artwork on a very on a whole emotional side. So I think that problem that most planners have is, as planners, we go to we go to school and study planning, and we learn about cities in very abstract ways. You know, we learn how to read data, census tracts, numbers, pictures, all these kind of all these all these types of uh tool abstract tools. But for the public, the city is about the city's about about an experience, because that's what shapes their their places and their, their imagination. So so that's what I tap into: people's imaginations and their experiences, because people. You know, definitely can understand the city from that perspective. It's either it's either safe, dirty, clean, nice, not nice, but their, their experiences tell them a lot about about the city. And by, and by using their bodies as a tool, we can really we, we can really uh, gain a lot more knowledge. And it's also you know a little less confusing for people to participate in, in the planning process because you know we, we use objects. So basically, basically what I do is I use found objects and make and make a, a planning very tactile. And I give people a question, simple question: How would you build your ideal neighborhood? How would you create your ideal park, or you know, or or city, and then, uh, or you know, or economic development? And then have them build it in 20 minutes. And during the time when they build, people have uh, autonomy to do what they want, basically. And during that time, they self reflect, based on memories, needs, desires. You know, I went to Europe once, and it was great. I want to create Europe. I want to create a cafe in my neighborhood. Or I went to, you know, or needs, you know, I, I just bought a, I just bought a, have a dog now, and I need a dog park, or or desires, you know, I want to live in a in a pink city, fine, you know. So the whole idea is to open up, you know, the whole process of applying, of so everybody feels that they have a role in it, and how, and how their body and how their ideas and and can really generate, you know, their role in, in the greater picture. So after everybody builds for 20 minutes, you know, I give I give them, them some doggy like care rollers. Typical sticks, popsicles, uh, a lot of random, non-representative, non-representative uh, material objects, so that they could uh, really, you know, really force create really force creativity on the public or on the individuals to, to think out of the box. So people feel a lot more open and a lot more, still uh, a lot more accessible to people to create this kind of uh, vignette and all these objects. Because because this process kind of removes all the barriers. There's no right or wrong answers. It's just your response to the question using your you using yourself so after people you know after everybody builds, I give everybody one minute to share their idea with the group so this way everybody has an idea where, where where they're coming from and what they think about what they're thinking about, and in that way people can you know start to realize that hey you know we have a lot of similarities here you know and uh and, and people can, can can really can really understand each other. And through this whole process of, you know, sharing, people people are inspired by each other. So they begin to share, they begin to bond with each other, and they, and they have great ideas. You know, as a planner, if I tell them what to do, they don't care. But so if, if their neighbor has a great idea, that's a lot more important for them. Or they have the idea that's more important for them. And so it's after that everybody shares out, you know, I, I, put, them in, I put them in groups of so maybe you know, four or five or or are up to ten people and to say and, tell, and ask tell the group you know pick a spot in your neighborhood you want to improve with your ideas. you know you know, some of your ideas might not work, but just pick a spot, you want to improve again, you're giving the group the autonomy they need to make their own decisions you know and, and, and make their create their own solutions so I think as planners, we tend to over regulate meetings and we give we give people dots and you know numbers and maps and pictures, and people get confused people at so this way people. Again have buy in in the whole process you know and uh it makes it a lot easier for people to really kind of you know, share their ideas and uh work together because again there's no there's there's no uh you know limitations to what they can create, so everybody can contribute you know you know to the final collective community project or you know design and uh and after that each team you know starts to uh Presents their work to the, whole, to the other teams, so then they realize how they, how they work together and how their ideas can inspire each other. And in this way, uh, by, by this kind of collaboration, this is where this is where this is where diversity really comes in handy. Because the more diverse your you know your your team members are, the better off your design is going to be. Because what happens is with, with cities that cities are very spatial and very physical, and that's just that's just nature of cities. So this method really, this method really taps into that type of spatial uh, configuration, uh, spatial dynamics of the city. You know, people can identify spaces in the city very easily because the evolution experienced them: a building, a tree, you know, a street. So so it makes the whole process of city planning very easy for people to kind of understand, kind of of work together. So that's so, so. And also because it's all found objects, all recycled material, this is a very inexpensive process. You know, you know, I go to garage sales, beer shops, and find random pieces of, you know, objects or old objects that are, you know, that are, can be recycled over and over again to do the exercise. Because nothing nothing, nothing to glue down. It's all very temporary, very ephemeral, and so it becomes very fast-paced. So the workshops usually last for 30 people. Usually last an hour. Because from start to finish, people go into the workshop, you start to get a question, you start to build, they share they work together, and then they, they share again, and then we, have, then we have a wrap up. So this really, this really, this really, just really uh, gives, gives the meeting a really fast-paced, kind of high-energy kind of vibe, and, 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 you, and you don't have a lot of negative people, you know, uh, complaining about, about about you know uh, about, this, about the city because they're all, they all are all evolving kind of uh, coerced to play together, and you create a whole different environment for a, for a community meeting. So, and, uh, you know, I, I do this, you know, I do this for, you know, for, for first graders, to senior citizens, engineers, all different groups of people, because we all have a capacity to think, to think with, to use our hands and put put things, and put, put things together and kind of, kind of solve, kind of solve with kind of, kind of solve the kind of, uh, situations, the creative thinking and play. So I think so that's a that's just kind of a bit of a rundown of what i've been doing and i i work on various topics from transportation economic development you know, social justice nature you know and there's different and the, and the this whole idea is that people can bond to this whole process you know you know if, if you know many many times what a lot of people do if they have a group that group that's very uh uh you know it's very not very happy together <laughs> they from or from different places what i do this process brings them all together. Because sometimes well, you know how people create their favorite childhood memory. So, so, when people create their favorite childhood memory. They're all the same. You could be you could be living in Asia, Africa, or South America, or North America. We're going to all have the same kind. Of, we're going to have the same kind of childhood memories as children. So this makes this, this brings people together because so they realize, hey, you know, we could be we could be from different, different parts of the tract, different continents, but as children, at one time in our lives, we all had the same experience. This is a really easy way to get people to be on the same page and uh, and, and work together. So uh, yeah, so and also, so I build these I also build these models out of foam core, really simple models, and put, and put them on public spaces and public streets and have people react to it. You know, a lot, lot of times, lot, lot, many times, when I do when I do them in low income, like two neighborhoods, they think I'm a street vendor. And you know, what are you selling? I tell them the city planning. They'll ask, what's that? I mean, it's the way to shape your neighborhood. They so you say, what for? Because you can. You know, the whole idea is to get people prepped up to think about how they could shape their future, you know, through play and be, be part of the process before, you know, and, and understand the process, which a lot of people don't understand, you know, when they go into it and at and, a and final meeting. So that's just a brief rundown of what I do. And, you uh, so know, then we're doing your workshops all over the country, Canada, Mexico, so, so they're a lot of fun. You know, people have always had good results. You know, so it's been a really, it's really fun working in this part of the planning process with fun and play.
0: Great, okay. thank you so much, James. That was really fun. And if some of you on the line haven't actually seen James's work, you might take a look at. I believe the email we sent around to you we had a photo of one of the models he built for town. You can also go online to his website, which you can access through our blog post. And I encourage you to just take a peek. Sometimes it's really hard to visualize what we're looking at here. We can also try to paste the photo into the Google Doc. But that was fantastic. Thanks, James. You hit on so many great points there that we'll definitely dive into during the rest of the call. So for those of you listening, if James's talk sparked some questions for you or ideas, jump into our Google Doc. You can ask a question there, add your name. You can add comments. We've been trying to take some notes throughout this, so we've tried to capture things. But please help us add to that. Um, I want to turn it to Chris Holler before we open up for some questions and answers. Chris tackles play from a very different perspective, not as tactile and hands-on. But let's hear a little bit about what play means to him. Chris?
2: Perfect. Yeah, thanks. Um my name is Chris Holler. Uh here at Urban Arts Studio um we build apps and provide consulting around online and mobile engagement. And really sort of for the last couple of years our focus area and, and, and sort of real really our interest has been around how can we use mobile phones and games uh to make uh planning and public engagement uh more fun and really use it uh to provide citizens one uh with an opportunity to go out and about and um think about and, and provide feedback when they're uh, in the places that we're actually planning for and that, that our processes are about, uh, and also really sort of to provide with the games an, an opportunity to uh, foster exploration, to, to play with alternatives, really have um, sort of rethink how we're asking for feedback and turning it into something that's stimulating and fun, uh, because really that's, I think, how learning and, and ultimately decision-making works, I uh, have a one-and-a-half-year-old and a four-year-old or almost four-year-old. And uh, when I watch them play, um, that's how they make sense of their world, uh, by taking things apart and learning how things behave when we do certain like play and, and reenact and, and, and those kinds of things. That's how they make sense of the world and ultimately start making better decisions. And I think that's very much true as adults, we kind of lose that skill because we kind of go about our jobs and daily life in a certain way. Uh, and we, we don't get to play as often anymore, but I think it's a very uh, important skill, uh, and something that in our experience really helps, uh, make helping people more fun and productive. Um personally, I think my, um my interest in this started when I was working for, uh, like many years back with Slave Matters and the Orton Family Foundation and participated and helped organize uh some growth team um facilitated by um Steve Mullen, who I just heard is on the call, which is exciting uh really uh for those of you who don't know in chip games you uh or growth teams to basically get ship for future um uh population growth and and job growth uh while sitting around uh, as a small group around a large paper map and start placing those and have a discussion about where to place them and the fun thing that of being part of the process was to um rethink how uh decision making tools like community vis could be used to evaluate those um the scenarios and, and even as as far as um as, or as immediate as in a meeting in providing the feedback of what actually uh what the outcomes of the scenario that a group created was. And really I think that terms uh again it's just about input. Uh, by learning, by having that feedback, turns it around into play, and you can afterwards you compete while, with the other tables, and say, hey, okay, we solved this problem better, and you guys solved that problem better. And it turns it into something that uh, that is a lot more fun, and there's a, more of a learning experience involved, because it wasn't just a discussion, but it was also the immediate feedback that then sort of advanced the conversation and advanced the decision-making process. Uh, uh here at Urban Actors Studio um just two things that we kind of um have been working on and have been excited about uh that sort of also represent, I think, two different parts of the spectrum. Because when you look at uh games online and mobile games, uh really there are certain things that can be done on a smaller budget, um, but they require some creativity. And on the other side, uh many of you know um sort of some of the more powerful games that almost go into the direction of uh some city. Where you can play with different choices and, and make decisions and see immediate impact. Um, but also, when you go down that road, um, oftentimes budgets start becoming prohibited for a lot of smaller projects. And so, um, just to kind of exemplify how we've worked on both sides of the equation, um, I want to start with something that we recently started doing uh, and showcased actually at the IP2 conference uh, two weeks ago. Uh, which are mobile scavenger hunts, uh, or what we call answer hunts. And basically the idea is that we take some of the, um the boring surveys that we sometimes put out in one people feedback and turn it into something that's actually fun and challenging to do and, uh, provides an extra incentive, uh, for people to participate. So, uh, in that, uh, in these mobile scavenger hunts, are very much sort of a page, uh, a multi-step kind of wizard or question that you go through um, within each step, you kind of have to unlock something and go to the next one, which is typically when you do this, um, or when you remember back in your childhood, when you did this, it's sort of the next um, cue, and sort of how you answer that. So we built this into it. you might have to go to a park and answer a question about the statue that's built in the park or something like that. And along the way, we then ask questions about some of the things that we want feedback on. So maybe ask uh, a group to upload a picture where they think uh we could improve the park, uh, or where we should place the new playground or something like that. Uh and uh maybe test some knowledge and, and see if they can find out by talking to somebody, encouraging them to talk to some locals and talk to some people in the park what they think. And we just sort of by posing interesting challenges and making it um something that that sort of inspires and uh at the same point challenges uh it it, it turns into a fun game. Um and so we're excited we're we're just starting to do this for of project in Fort Collins. Uh, and it really sort of that, even the, the in that case, the, the setting this up and putting it together is, is fun for the people involved in it rather than sort of the survey. And I think it's one thing that I, it exemplifies is that oftentimes, especially for those of you who are planners, um we tend to look at citizens, and it's kind of unfortunate, as data points. And it's like, well, if we can hear from so many hundred participants, we can sort of tap into the wisdom of crowds, and we better not ask any open-ended questions, like we keep it at a level where we can easily analyze it. Um, but by reducing the data points, we take out the fun and part of it, and I think that's really something that we're excited to bring back into this. Um, the other part that I wanted to quickly highlight is uh, what we call flip side there's a range of tools. ours are called flipside there's uh for those three courses. I think it matters so has a tool called crowd They all go into sort of a similar direction um which is about helping um participants to go through a series of, of questions or through a series of decisions and sort of learn how they um impact the sort of the, the region or city or, or our planning region that we're um, working with. And we've done this, uh, some of our um, most recent examples are for the Imagine Center Arkansas project, uh, where along the, pro- the process of going through this regional transportation plan, uh, we built uh, three games, and uh, sort of the one in the middle was, by um, the last one, was Are We There Yet? Basically a game around sort of playing with timelines and exploring based on uh, different decisions that you make Um how that impacts the implementation timeline. So uh we started uh this sort of wizard that they went through um with um then like the participants setting their own uh goals of when they think this should be completed and basically when they want to see all the things that came out in the vision when they actually want to see those uh come to fruition. And um and then we started asking them what they're willing to do. so like they could make a, make decisions about how much a tax increase they would um uh for example, support or um if they would be willing to um whatever change their mode of transportation and uh sort of uh, even a couple of sort of external factors in there. So like how do you think whatever smart cars might impact sort of our transportation plan? Or how do you think uh the difference in housing uh, and lifestyle choices will impact our plan. And so as they went through this and sort of dragged sliders across uh, and sort of decided what should be done and what they would be willing to do, they would see how close they would get to accomplish their goals on a range of different um, indicators. And uh, that immediate feedback is really sort of an interesting and an important learning experience uh, that makes it uh, fun to participate uh, and fun to keep going because it poses uh, the, the game, the player in this, in this scenario, the participant to, um go back and tweak things and change things back and forth and kind of start thinking like, well, if I don't really want to support this tax increase, maybe I'm willing to pay more for, um gas or something like that. Well, I guess there be a tax increase too, but. So you start weighing trade-offs and you kind of, as you weigh trade-offs and sort of make decisions back and forth and maybe change your mind on a couple of things, like, hey, I, I really am not for this, but, I am gonna compromise on something else. Uh you provide more valuable feedback. It it goes away from um high in the sky dreaming because as you see on the slide, you can see, okay, we're accomplishing some like the environment goals that we have, but really going way over budget, or maybe the other way around. Well, we're saving and we're hitting our budget goals. Um but by far enough reaching sort of the level of livability and the 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 footprint that we wanna have. And so um that in itself is fun uh fun for uh, and a great learning experience and then afterwards you can compare your results uh, maybe you earn a badge, like there's some where we had people earn based on their responses uh a certain certain badges and sort of and sort of helping them uh sort of show status and, and show how well they did and then allow them to share that with their friends because all these things are ultimately um uh, important parts of a game that will drive people and sort of answer this what's-in-it-for-me question that I think is is ultimately be behind all of this, and I think it's something that games help solve where oftentimes we reach the people in a planning process that uh, when asked with the question, like, what what's-in-it-for-me, if I participate in the process, if they answer, it's like, well, I'm really interested in bringing our community forward Um, and sort of have altruistic goals like that, those are the people that typically come. Or it's the property owners and they say, well, I'm really interested in participating because I want to make sure our property value um, doesn't go down or that they don't build this in my backyard, sort of this typical argument of NIMBYism that we all know. Um, But I think putting a game aspect to this, there's new elements for participants that we otherwise don't reach uh, that might typically don't have an answer for the what's in it for me question and, and say, okay, this sounds, this sounds like fun and I participate in the scavenger end. um because, we're, or, or my school class is doing this and it's kind of fun or, or like I'm out and about and I have like half an hour to kill. Um I just discovered this, this would be great to do. And really sort of having these different incentives in playing and, and providing a range of different incentives I think is, is, is big and, and, sort of drives participation through gameplay. Uh, game uh So, yeah, that's uh, a quick introduction to sort of some of the things that we've been doing, our sort of uh, emerging insights. I mean, as, as everybody else in this field, we're learning, and I think that's one of the fun things about it, that uh, there's a lot of things that we can kind of experiment with and play with <laughs> while creating games for uh, participation. So it's fun for everybody, not only the people that participate. That's great. Thank
0: you so much, Chris, for that introduction. You've hit on a lot of material here as well. There's so much we can dig into. Um I actually want to give a little challenge to everybody listening on a, a line here. Chris, you referred to a number of different tools or sets of tools for this work. James has talked about one really specific example, too. I know we have some viewers on the line with us today who know about a bunch of other fun examples of play activities and games that could be used. So what my challenge is to ask everybody who's listening, if you do know of examples or have examples of your own, please dump them into the Google Doc for us. We will create a special little section in here. I'd love to just feed it with as many specific ideas, links, Examples as we can so that people can get a handle on the whole landscape of ideas that are out there today. And as we start getting some of those in there, maybe it'll feed a couple other questions for us. Uh, Chris actually gave us a great segue into one question that I really do want to hit though. So he brought up this notion of what's in it for me. And I think that's one of the central questions or challenges most communities have with engagement and trying to get people involved, whether it's a planning process or some sort of engagement challenge. And Chris noted that sometimes games can be the answer to that question. If it's fun, maybe that's enough. That's what's in it for people. We have a couple callers who are almost asking the reverse though, and noting, I would suspect that a lot of us today are so strapped for time and for energy. We are dealing with kids. We're dealing with our jobs. We do not have time to go to more community meetings. And if we hear that it's going to be a game, I think sometimes there might be a concern that people will not want to participate. They're not going to think that it's important enough. So I want to dig into that a little bit. We had one caller in particular asking about this. Lisa from Pennsylvania, are you with us today? If you are, you can press town six to come off mute. Let me just ask Lisa's question then. And Lisa, if you are here, feel free to jump in and, and cut me off. So Lisa says, how does a meeting facilitator in which play is used as an engagement tool overcome the reluctance of the public to do something that they think might be beneath them? And I'll tweak her question slightly. Maybe people think it's beneath them. Maybe they think it's just a waste of time. They want to get down to the nuts and bolts. Another caller was asking about that point. How do you gather people who just want to talk about the issues and feel that there's stuff that's so important? So I'm going to ask both James and Chris. To respond to that, let me start with James. Do you have any reactions
1: to that? Yeah, I think the issue is uh, how we communicate, and I think we, we live in a multicultural society. Communication is key. Not everybody speaks English. Not everybody understands uh, planning terms. Not everybody not everybody understands the computer. So we have to make communication very accessible for everybody. And the whole idea is that you know everybody communicates their own ways. You know, how does how does how does a Latino family communicate with each other? How do Asians communicate with each other? How do African Americans communicate with each other? So, we, we need to make communication is the key here. And I think that, I think, it, and, and just make it really, and we make it a really fun process. For me, you know, people can communicate or can play, you know, uh, you know can, can partake in my, my activities for a minute or for an hour, you know, because it just takes a few minutes to get people thinking about it. And that's all the time they have, you know, that, that's all the time they have, you know, and uh, the whole idea of having people learn something is. It's too complicated, so so I guess that's how we how we communicate. And it's, and it's also when you make it visually enticing, like like food, you know, like you know, when I present the materials on the table, you know, in, you know, in, in a meeting, it becomes like eye candy. Food, people are just dying to people are just dying to start. You know, you know, when, when I work with uh, young children, you know, you know, you know, youth and children, they were, they already start playing before I, before they already start building their ideal cities before I even give them the question. So the whole idea is how do, we, how do we make, you know, how do we make it worth their worth their while, you know, to spend to spend up to an hour to to kind of to share their ideas and, and kind of and bond together with their, with their community members, and by but again by making it really exciting and accessible, you can bring you could bring the whole family, you can bring the the kid, the parents and the grandparents all to plan all all to plan together, and have and have a really productive experience, and really think about it more like a uh, social exchange of face-to-face,
0: uh, you know, uh, activities. That's a great suggestion. So I definitely hear you talking a lot about communication, James. Is that part of getting the invitation out and making sure the language is right there and you're telling people why it's important? Well, I
1: think I think uh, for me, you know, if, if I put a model, you know, of, of, on a street corner or at a festival, at a booth, at, at a, you know, at a... At a big festival with you know a thousand people there, mm. the 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 material communic the, the material itself is the communication, right? You know, you know you know so that's where you start. That's the starting point is how the material, the, the vibrancy, the tackleness is, is a communication tool. It's like when you think about when you eat food, the food itself is communicating with you. You know the, you know with the salad, the meat, the, all these different different colors and textures, they, they they kind of drive something. They can they kind of drive your you know, you, you know, your, your instincts, it's the same, the same way with this process. You know, you're driven by your instincts to touch something, to see something, to smell something. So I, I use that same method in this whole way to get people engaged in the planning process.
0: That's a great point. So maybe if you're meeting people where they already are at a festival or at the street corner, you don't have to convince them to show up. They're there. they there, yeah. You convince them that it's enough fun to participate. Um, so, let me pass this to Chris and see what you think. Chris, you're often getting people to actually participate in games, which does take some time and some effort on their part. Um, and I do want to just ask you if you can speak really slowly and clearly. I think we were having a little bit of trouble hearing you.
2: Oh, okay. Um, I I think it's an interesting question. Um, the I think it depends on how you set the stage for a game. Like, I think if... Um, if early on, whether that's in a face-to-face meeting or whether it's online, if if you um, clearly sort of describe what the purpose of the game is, meaning that um, we're sort of at this stage in the process and we want to hear at this point about uh, sort of maybe we're early in a visioning visioning phase of the project or maybe we're sort of at a later stage of a project and we really want to get input on uh, different alternatives and create different alternatives uh, for us to consider, I think if we outline what it is that we want to get to, um and show how that game is the process to get there, I think people are, I, I, I was trying to think while, well, while was talking, like, to a project where i seen where people were rel- reluctant. And I think typically when, when that is presented that way, if people are actually happy to have a process that guides them there, that allows them to provide their input and output in a way that's fun and engaging. They're very open to this. I think, it becomes um a barrier um if it's a game for the sake of a game uh and if there's no if if people start getting the feeling that this is not meaningful and that the outcomes of this doesn't don't have any impact on the decisions that are being made, and so it's just a waste of their time and I think that that underlying sort of how is this tied into the general process how what happens to those results here? Um, how do we get there? I think it's more important for people to not feel like it's beneath them than um, than whether it's actually a game where a game in this sense is really just a different process to get there. So instead of a a, a survey that's whatever, 60 questions long, that nobody wants to fill out, if we can trim this and turn it into a, a scavenger hunt, for example, or if we do instead of um, sort of a, Sort of panel discussion. If we sit around a, a table and have a chip game and everybody can kind of chime in, I really think that the game is the preferred way that people want to go about this. Um, and and but, uh, again, as long as that's kind of tied into it and they understand why this is important and what happens to the result, I don't know if that, that answers the question. But great,
0: thanks, Chris. Yeah, we have a, a number of questions as well about diversity, about culture, which is something I've heard James bring up several times and also we've heard him talk about in the past related to play. So I want to dig into that a little bit. I think there are several aspects of this. One is how do we ensure that there are diverse voices present in the room? James talked about how much the planning is improved if you can do that. And we have several other questions about how you can ensure fun community engagement really crosses barriers. One from Karen in Colorado. Karen, are you with us? Let me just ask Karen's question here. She said, I'd like to hear about fun community engagement that crosses cultures and socioeconomic boundaries. I'm particularly interested in good strategies for communities that are in the midst of gentrification, where there are wide age ranges, economic ranges, and cultural differences. James to the question. How, have you both addressed that in your work, or how have you seen fun community engagement that can cross those really important cultural divides? Oh uh, I'll, I'll go
1: first. Uh, Please, yeah, I guess the, the the way I set up my the workshops is that you know I have a I have a variety of objects, right? Uh, you know, just hair rollers. Uh, you know, all these different different tools, shiny stuff. You know, dull stuff. So everybody in the room picks what they like. You know, I had a, I had a project one time in New York where this 50 you know, year old Latino woman was having a hard time. I asked her, "What's your favorite color?" She said pink. So I gave her all the pink hair rollers. And she designed all the pedestrian problems. She built a model of the South Bronx and highlighted all the pedestrian problems in the South Bronx with, with, with the pink hair rollers. And she was so excited about that. So, again, you know, you're you kind, of, you, you, you kind of reaching out to different different people, different different gender issues, like, you know, how, how men design space and how women design space and how kids design space, and which would turns them on. You know, everybody, everybody, everybody has this everybody, – everybody, we all have some type of uh, – Design instinct. You know, we like certain colors. We like certain foods, and we have to make that part of the process. We have to make we have to make it. We have to make everybody have access to that process. And I think that's where. And, and, and kind of kind of drilling down to that really kind of fundamental level of access. You know, uh, you know, by to, to genders, by ages, by age groups, and uh, you know, you, you, you can break down these, you can break down these barriers, and people can communicate. You know, through 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 the visual language. You know with each other and understand each other so you start to understand, you know, what, what are the shared values there, you know, to do this kind of visual communication.
0: That's great. Chris, do you want to add to that? How have you handled cultural yeah, but, differences and engaged diverse communities?
2: So um, I think just one example that I've come across that I find interesting that kind of dealt with us in sort of the online realm um, was participatory Chinatown, I think it was a couple of years old, um but they sort of used uh, sort of one of those massive online uh games where it's like second Life where um players have virtual avatars kind of walk around and, and structured it around that uh like chinatown in 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 Boston and um had held community meetings where uh sort of the younger generation worked uh like they teamed up so like um a teenager would work with uh, somebody older sit in front of their computer and play this game where it was basically a role-play game where they um, inherited, in a sense, took on the life of a character that represented one uh, group in the neighborhood, again, a neighborhood that was very diverse and um, facing rapid change, and have to sort of look at the challenge that they were facing from that particular perspective. And so it's interesting because The uh, learning experience was not only sort of multi-generational in terms of the team that you had and how you approached the game and played the game, but it was also within the game uh, that you took on and and sort of explored this uh, and and tried to solve the challenges in the game through uh, somebody else than yourself. So it fostered understanding of of the problems. It it allowed people to reflect on uh, the the challenges and sort of uh, provide solutions that were not, this is my perspective, but like, okay, this is the Layers and the characters' perspective, and really sort of help people step outside and have really sort of foster deliberation about the different issues looking at it from, some, uh, from somebody else's perspective. So I found that interesting, and I think role play in general uh, is something that that is very um, powerful uh, when you want to go about sort of solving that uh, that um, these challenges sort of, uh, in, in diverse communities.
0: That's great. Thanks, Chris. Um, we've got a lot of questions in the Google Doc today, and the time is ticking. We'll try to hit as many as we can on the phone, but I really want to encourage all of you listening to get in here and help us answer some of these as well. I do see some great comments coming in, a few dissenting voices, lots of ideas of games and play in the end of our Google Docs. If you have ideas, please scroll to the end and add them in. Um, we'd love to hear from as many of you as we can. I want to actually really bring this down to earth for a few minutes and throw a challenge at James and Chris and see if we can help someone problem solve as well. So all of this sounds great in the abstract, but I bet there's some callers on the line thinking, all right, fantastic. How do I actually do this in my community? How do I do this in my planning process? And we had one caller pretty much asking us that question. Stephen from Brandon, are you with us today? Stephen, if you are on the line, you can press pound six to come off mute. I'm going to start asking your question, but if you're here, you can come off, and we'll let you ask it yourself. Um, Stephen is from Brandon, Vermont, which is a designated downtown. He says it was negatively impacted by Tropical Storm Irene in 2011 with a lot of flooding. Today, they're participating in an exercise funded by the state through a community development block grant designed to address, quote, downtown issues. Stephen says there will be a series of events over three days in November to engage business owners, property owners, residents, the public, town officials, you name it. Other than the standard methods of newspaper articles, radio, public service announcements, email blasts, et cetera, Stephen's wondering what unique and fun ways there might be to increase public engagement in this event. So I want to talk this to James and Chris on the phone and to the rest of you listening in to see if we can help Stephen problem solve here. What interesting ideas could he actually apply in Brandon to get people to show up and engage in these really important conversations about how they revitalize and address downtown? Um, Chris, can we start with you this time?
2: Sure. Um, so I think initially this sounds more like an outreach question, like how can we reach the broadest possible Um, group of people and um, I think in general um, sort of reaching the most people possible um, oftentimes I think the conversation gets sidetracked by what channel of communication we're using so whether social media nowadays is more effective than emails last and sort of uh, questions like that where I really think the the projects I've seen the most uh, successful at reaching a large and uh, and, uh, diverse uh, group of participants, typically are best at fostering alliances and, and really tapping into different networks in the community. And I think it ultimately depends on sort of what the people who do the outreach are um, most familiar with and find most effective to, to sort of tie those uh or find those uh, different sort of allies. And so there could be uh, for being active on social media and and fostering a relationship with a local newspaper and a couple of local tweeters that have large following and really trying to figure out how to be aligned with people that um whose audience might be interested to get on board and I think um beyond that that that's sort of the online realm or the social media realm but I think that's the same for um for this for face to face um engagement where uh, to reach audiences that typically are not involved, I think it's, it's highly important that we reach out to and, and see where we can find them and reach out to community leaders and to people that um, sort of, uh, are, are hosting the conversations and hosting the places where those people go um, to, to make sure we reach them. I think in terms of how to game that or gamify, I think is, a, is an interesting new term that many of you may have heard of gamification in, in terms of online tools oftentimes uh, relates to um, allowing people to earn badges for accomplishing a certain tasks. So you might see this on websites where, I actually recently saw this on com where you go and you read an article and you earn or type points and you watch a video and you, whatever, earn 10 points. And so uh, when you look at sort of public or online engagement tools, you might look at something like MindMixer that many of you have heard of and they have a leaderboard that uh, basically, people point a certain amount of points for the amount of comments that they write or amount of points for um, a topics that they start. And um, the the interesting thing behind this, uh, there are certain things where I, I sometimes worry that it's a little overused and that it doesn't hold up to what it promises. But I think it's an interesting way that we recently tried in that in that I mentioned earlier is... Um, how could we um reward people for spreading the news? So um we basically handed out to a group of fifty people different links that basically linked to the same landing page, but so basically we could track how far they um reached out and so we ultimately gave away a couple of bottles of wine for um the people who ended up spreading the word um sort of the the broadest and had the most people sign up for an event. And really sort of trying to figure out interesting ways to sort of sort of get people to not just make that new nuisance um of of helping uh, having to help spread the word but to basically show them that there's something to gain both in terms of sort of status as well, as well as kind of um some other incentives that you might be able to provide for um them sort of helping you spread the word so i don't I don't know that many great examples that sort of have used. Uh, sort of different game elements, in a sense, to to help spread the word, but that is an interesting field that that I'd love to know more about myself. I'll be good that.
1: Yeah, I think uh, uh, I do a lot of work with artists, and I think the artists are the most creative people out there in our our communities. And we need need to tap into artists to get the public engaged in our processes. I think social media is well and good, but not everybody is tied to social media. But I think the arts are one way to get people, you know, engaged in a very physical, very emotional, in, in, a, very, in a very essential way in, in this whole process of engagement. And I've done a lot of work with a lot of different art projects all over the country, you know, using art and urban planning, using art as a powerful tool to engage people. You know, because that's something people can really, you know, under understand, you know, if they don't like to use social media. So I think tapping into the arts, an artist, as a, as a way to get the way to get people more involved in the planning process, is a really interesting, creative, fun way to get people thinking about planning in a different in a different way, and creating creating larger audiences, you know, for participation. Because people like art, they like to be creative, and, and the artists have tons of ideas on how and how to get people to you know to engage. I just worked on a project in Flint, Michigan, where we had, so we had 75 artists rethink. An old brown, the old 130-acre Brownsville site, and that it was such a beautiful process because we had it was like it was like an urban cleansing. You know, 75 artists rethought this whole site, put, put installations on there, and the whole community came out and said, "Wow, this is incredible." We think of our neighborhood different now. So I think, so I say, so I think using creative talents of the artists would be a good way to kind of get the word out and get people to really rethink, you know, the physical form of the city in really different ways.
0: That's great, thanks James. So we're done with about 10 minutes today. I know we have a lot of people listening with some great questions and ideas. I want to actually open up the line and see if we have anyone listening who'd like to come off and ask a question for James and Chris. So if you are listening and you want to talk to them or share your ideas, please press pound six to take yourself off mute. Don't be shy, come on off. if anyone has a question. Okay, well, so let me jump in with another one. And if you are waiting and you're ready to come off, uh take yourself off mute, get ready, and we'll come back to you in a second here. Uh, there's a great question on here from Ben in Maine. So all of this sounds really great. Ben says he attended a conference recently with presentations on innovative and fun community engagement techniques. Lots of great ideas, but he says the speakers were lucky enough to enjoy large grants to help them pull off their meetings and planning processes. So Ben is interested in how we can start to make changes in the town within the constraints of a normal municipal budget, and he happens to be calling in from a relatively small town in Maine, I know. James, you talked about how using found objects makes it pretty cheap. You can go hit up garage sales and come out with a lot of interesting materials for five bucks. But how about with some other types of projects? How can you actually make progress on this without a big budget?
1: without a big budget, again, you know, I think creativity and imagination those are free, and we we all we all have the capacity to create and imagine so that's that that's the basic element of city planning so again we just we tap into people's creative and imaginative sides, and we could do it and we could do we could do it at a very simple cost you know that, you know we we don't need we don't need maps pictures, you know fancy websites and all that stuff we we just have to come you have to come together and create and just explore and discover. That's the, that's the essence of planning, and we have to keep we have, we have to keep it at that really simple simple level and don't try to overcomplicate it. And that that would keep your prices down. You know, and my workshops are pretty inexpensive. You know, for, for for what I produce versus you know to, uh, doing it doing it with all the bells and whistles. So I guess I think it's really doable. You know, at at a at a at a, at a low at a low cost. Great, Chris. How about on the higher tech side? You mentioned
0: participatory. Excuse me. Participatory Chinatown, which is a great project, but has a pretty high price tag. How about some right. of the other things you're talking about? Could you even give us a range of what a typical budget might cost for some of these higher tech interventions, or any ideas for doing it on the cheap?
2: Right. I mean, as you mentioned, like some of those, and including a lot of the simulation type tools uh, that I mentioned earlier, like uh, they start at like ten, twenty thousand dollars, and oftentimes a lot of. Staff and, and then I always go into that because you have to sort of build the model and invest the model and then you start talking with a lot of people about sort of the cost of pricing and how things different things should be scored. Um, but I, I agree with um, James where I think uh, uh, creativ- creativity can go a long way because games don't have to be very complex. And like one example that um, we had a story about on our engagingcities.com um, uh, magazine, not too long ago was a story from Barcelona where they used public or created public space trading cards. And those sort of basically the places that um, were included in um, a, a, pro, a, a planning process that they were going through. They built the trading cards, scoring them on different levels and just sort of started handing them out to people and encouraging them to share them. And so it, like ultimately reached a large audience by so with this sort of very unique game that literally doesn't didn't cost very much money besides the printing cost and the staff I'm into making this. And again, that's sort of the same for the scavenger hunt or answer hunt game that I just decided where it's basically just a matter of coming up with the right questions and using some uh survey tool or in our case a sort of a little di- different technical platform to kind of set that up uh without with really sort of without a big budget. And so I think there's there's ways, um and there's actually a great book called Innovation Game to highlight some of those. They're a little more business focused, but I I know a group that sort of translates them into the public engagement realm. And and those are face to face approaches that um really again just sort of are at the cost of the facilitator and the staff time that's involved in getting people maybe paying for uh pizza so people actually show up to the event but really don't go beyond this. And uh and I think it it really just uh, almost more a matter of mindset than um so how can we build, uh, how can we get the information that we're trying to collect during, the, during this phase of the project in uh, in a game-like environment or activity rather than sort of our, our standard approaches?
1: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, for my method, you know, this is a couple hundred bucks. And people, it's more of a process of using recycled material. And it's, it's more of a technique rather than a, and, and having very minimal uh, props to use it. So it's really, really inexpensive. It's more of a process. I mean, there's a you
0: know more more of a process in how we how we think, and how we create. Great. So let's try again and see if anyone else on the line wants to come off and ask a question before we wrap for the day. Anyone out there?
3: Rebecca, can you hear me? This is Larry Schooler.
0: I can. Go ahead, Larry.
3: Yeah. Hey guys, uh, this has been a great presentation. Especially want to say hi to to Chris, having seen him at IP2. Thanks for everything you've mm-hmm. done. Um, I guess I just wanted to ask. You know, I've I've done some some work uh, much less sophisticated and much less interesting than you all, but but some in the in the games realm. But I'm wondering, like, if if someone's never done this before. I mean, we've listed all these (coughs) excuse me listed all these resources, but I mean, is there a is there a training? Is there sort of a 101 you know place to start? Um, I, I just find in a lot of the work that we do in this field, we're just sort of bombarding each other with tons and tons of of things to read and i'm just curious is there a you know kind of a way for someone who's never done this before to um be introduced to it in a way that will seem not as uh, sort of imposing as kind i've got to build a game and i've I've never done a game of any kind let alone for engagement before but it sounds fun you know um i don't know if, if either of you guys do that kind of training or if you know places where that happens or any any kind of advice there
1: yeah, I think uh, I, have, I have a three-minute video called "City at Play," and it, it just kind of lays out the six steps: ask the great question, set up the room, and uh, you know, just a really simple, simple step that you know anybody can facilitate. You know, you know, after they after you see the video, it's just it's, it's just more that process. So it's really simple.
2: Yeah, and I, I think sort of following in this, I don't think there's a, something like a comprehensive approach to this. Um, I think there's there might be trainings around some of those approaches. So games has a the training, there's the innovation games uh book and guys that are behind this offer training. Um but for me, like when I a couple of years ago started diving into this, I was looking for insights on what makes a good game. And so like some of the basics of gameplay they go into designing a game. And really there's nothing that is nobody has ever translated that into our public engagement planning kind of reality. There's literature and, and, and uh, books about this for um, games that are end up being video games or games, games for the commercial market. Um, but I don't think people have um, translated that ever back, uh, which I think is, a yeah, as you point out, it's definitely something that I think is lacking and that would be probably great to put together sometime. Yeah, I think it's definitely missing. That's great. Um, so we are nearing the end of the call today. I
0: want Thanks everybody who's making this Google Doc so active and interesting today. There's a really great conversation going on in here about technology. So feel free to add to that. Check it out. There's some differing viewpoints, which is wonderful. We love having people weigh in on all sides of an issue. Uh, I wanted to do a couple of closing notes. I want to thank James Rojas and Chris Holler. Thank you both so much for being on the phone today and sharing all your insights about games and play and how to make communities come alive and make engagement way more fun. Um, We are going to be back on the line in a month talking about play for public space and how to make places a lot more and fun as well. So we invite you all to join us in November for that next call. Hope you'll join us for ongoing Community Matters conference calls as well. If you haven't been on the line with us before, check out our website, and you can go back and listen to your podcast and get all of our calls going back a couple of years. So we will be back in touch with you next week to share the podcast and notes from today's call. We will clean up the Google Doc a little bit, but we invite you to stay active in there as well. After we get off the line today, you can continue to edit it, answer some of the questions that we didn't get to, share more links and ideas and resources. And we want to thank the Orton Family Foundation for putting on these calls, and look forward to having you on the line again. So before we actually close out, I wanted to hand one more question to Chris and James, Uh, Assuming a bunch of the people listening in today are sold, they're drinking the Kool-Aid, they want to make engagement more fun in their communities, how do they get started tonight as soon as they hang up the phone? So in 30 seconds or less, I wanted to pass that to Chris and James for some closing thoughts. Chris, can you kick us off?
2: (laughs) That's uh, a good question. I would say start playing a game. I think – uh, whatever that is, like a board game with your kids or um, an online simulation somewhere else. I think it's about inspiration. And I think, as I said, there's not enough uh examples in our realm that are easy to do. So I think it's a task for everybody to play more in their life and then figure out how to transfer some of those elements that make gameplay fun and engaging and educational and translate them into our work. And I think you can only improve on that if you play more.
1: Yeah, I think uh, start recycling materials and start uh, going out there just asking simple questions to people and using materials as a way for them to express themselves. Ed? pretty simple. Do
0: you great. Uh, remember seeing that drawer? That, remember we talked about that I ordered an extra drawer? I think we have someone jumping in. If you're not on mute, you're already brainstorming, which is great. Go to it. <laughs> Um, so, thank you so much again to James and Chris. Those are great suggestions. And if you don't plan to use play in your community, you can save up your bottle caps and recycling and send them to Margaret in West Virginia, who wants to know how unfunded faculty members can get inexpensive supplies for use. So. Margaret, if you want people to send you their materials, stick your address in, and maybe you'll get some packages in the mail there. (laughs) So thanks again so much to James and Chris. Thank you to everybody who's been listening in and sharing ideas with us today. We will hang up with our homework to go home and play some games with our kids. So thanks again. (laughs) We hope to talk to you next month, and have a great afternoon.